Alright, 1.5 has almost been out a week, and this week, as I spoke about last time, we are going to be going over each and every one of the actual uh, unit adjustments, and I'll be giving my uh, commentary on those. Now, myself and um, the rest of the design development team and all that, we already put this together in the patch notes that we released with the update, but I'm going to go into them in depth and hopefully not just end up repeating the same things that were said there. We'll be going uh, down this faction by faction, and we have a lot to cover, so I'm not going to spend a lot of uh, time this week going over an intro or whatnot. We're just going to get right into it. And we're going to go ahead and start with the Lannisters. Uh, this is going to cover, by the way, every single change that we have done, including the 1.4 cards, just for the sake of completion. So, just letting you know there, if you're like, oh, I didn't know that was changed in 1.5, strong chance that if you're unaware of it, it was one of those changes in 1.4, so don't, you know go crazy and go like, oh my god, this was changed again. So, Alright, we're going to get to it. We're going to start with the Lannister attachments. First one we have up here is Gregor Clegane, Lord Tywin's Mad Dog. This is one of our most uh, well-received changes here. And this guy was mainly changed just because he is a three-point attachment. And uh, as I've said kind of extensively uh, as we've been talking about these changes, when attachments start to vary into that three-point area, they need to be pretty damn amazing to justify their points. Usually uh, we found that two points or so, and one point of course, is the uh, area that people would like to pay. Once you start hitting three points, you're hitting cheap NCU territory, or starting to push into the area where you might start seeing other units. And that was kind of one of the overall things that you'll notice with a lot of changes when it comes to attachments and such, is a decent amount of them just got lowered in points, and it's for the reasons I just stated. Something else that you'll probably consistently notice across these updates for you know Starks, Lancers, and Neutrals, is that a lot of these changes are took place to units that were initial kind of wave units. And these are units that uh, existed basically back way during like the first Kickstarter. Now, I've said before, you know, we work pretty far in advance of when things are released. And that is, of course, the case. But what we found is that, you know, you'll see a lot of the earlier units are the ones that are getting evaluated. And that's because, well, the game kind of evolved into a different spot from when those units were first initially created. And that is to say that the point was the game hadn't even been released to the general public at that point when a lot of these things were, uh, you know, kind of finalized and under, you know, uh, final steps of development and design. Well, obviously way past design, but late stage development. So basically it came to a point of the expected meta that, you know, you think is going to develop once the game is out and once all these choices at the table and then how things actually play out. And, you know, I guess you want to consider that growing pains or whatnot, because it happens with every miniature game. I remember back when we, um, when I revamped Dark Age back in 2012, I want to say it was, uh, one of the first miniature skirmish games that we released, you know, it was a complete revamp of the rules, and, you know, had to overhaul basically the entire system. Uh, flash forward years later when did Wrath of Kings, um, even then, when we released that game, um, I'm actually very proud to say the balance that came out internally in that game. But we still had a faction that we actually went back and just redid one of the core mechanics for it um, about a year and a half after the game came out, just because it really wasn't creating a good play experience. And so that's kind of what went on with some of these earlier changes here to these units, is that we had our, you know, our mathematically, you know, run out power scale and like, you know, cost analysis, things like that. But there's also the perception value versus, you know, you can't just math everything out and say like this unit is perfectly balanced from a math perspective therefore everything is perfectly fine um, because I'll cite the example of like Lannister Halberdiers for that one technically from a 
like a raw math standpoint and everything, they work out, but they're just, they weren't sexy enough. They, they were lacking just a little something. And a lot of these changes, I like to think, you know, are just giving a little extra touch of sexy to a unit while also bringing them up to, you know, being uh, competitively playable. Because the whole goal is, you know, take what you want and it will be effective. We don't want anything to be dead in this game. You know, uh, that's the goal for any game, obviously, but, you know, that's the main one we're here. I went off into a side tangent there. Okay, back to Gregor. So with Gregor, you know, we changed his uncontrolled uh, rage to make it more of a, not risk versus reward, but not a straight negative. Because on top of being three points, he also had a negative built in and the fact that he might limit you to charge. Now, at least when that happens, he's going to get that charge off and it's going to be nasty. So in a lot of ways, that's kind of turned into a buff, which is kind of how it should be playing out when you're paying that much points. In addition, Gregor is one of the few attachments in the game that just straight up gives you extra additional attack dice. Usually those are limited to things like, you know, once per round or, or tactics cards or things like that. Gregor is just straight up giving you two extra dice all the time, and you'll see that that ability does not appear many times in the game. He's also throwing Sundering down on top of that. So, frankly, when it comes to, like, what I imagine a uh, three-point attachment should be when it comes to offensive might, Gregor is, you know, in that category of a very strong, strong choice. Sandor Clegane, the Hound, actually one of my favorite characters in the series, because he has you know a nice little growth arc, and hopefully isn't dead in the books. Um, his change was just one to make him mesh w uh, better with the overall playstyle that the Lannisters wanted, because he was giving you vicious plus one to hit, but also giving you self-suffering wounds and uh, to make that happen, and that kind of went against the Lannister playstyle, and I know that kind of fits in thematically with Sandor, but we. It was just really hard to put him in a list at two points with other options. Moving him down to one point, he would be really strong at that level um, for the faction. So instead, we took you know a look back and redesigned him. And he, this was actually one of those attachments that was designed with the 1.5 changes, um, thinking about those coming into effect. Because even then, we announced these changes with Gregor and Sandor and the other guys here back at CMON Expo last year. And that was already at the time where we were you know, evaluating potential changes and the panic thing was something we were dabbling and experimenting on at that time and seeing if it's something we wanted to pursue. So he was actually built with that potential in mind, but Cut Them Down did very quickly become one of my favorite abilities to uh, kind of dose throughout the game. I don't want to see it widespread, but it, especially with the advent of 1.5, we knew that that was going to become more potent, and I really like where Sandor is wound up. Tyrion Lannister, the giant of Lannister, this guy, he just got a straight buff to make his ability um, short range instead of engage because it was super limiting the way it was. And he is another three-point attachment that is going to see play in certain types of lists, but is not for everyone. And I get that. The thing about him is that anytime you have a control aspect in the game, which the Lancers are built around, you have to kind of junction you know, the power level of that because the perception of control effects is always... The mental effect they have on the opponent, I always feel, is way stronger than the actual effect. Um, for example, Old Varus. Uh, Old Varus was very oppressive, that's the reason we changed him, but I really feel the most damage that he actually did to the opponent was fear of doing something. The amount of times that I would see someone just straight up not make a play because they were afraid he got Varus, that is not a mentality I really understand, because that means he's just 100% guaranteed to cancel what you were hoping he didn't cancel instead 66% of the time. So the mental fear of those things is something that, you know, I feel is very strong to consider. Uh, Tyrion here is a is three points for his control aspects, and that's kind of one of the ones there. 
Next up, okay, we're looking at Jamie Lannister, the Kingslayer. Uh, I feel really bad for Jamie here because, you know, the amount of times that we've kind of looked over, like, how to make him work a little bit. He is a victim of, back in the starter box and initial wave stuff, we played very cautious with um, the units and attachments. Essentially, if we thought something was going to be too strong, we took the route of, okay, maybe just keep it a little toned back, rather being overpowered. Um... Because that's frankly, I would rather, uh, that's that's a nasty sentence to say, I would rather the potential risk of something being slightly underpowered than I would for it to be grossly overpowered. That is a statement that can be taken out of context, and even in context, it's just a no-win thing. Because ideally, you want things to be, you know, just good and right balanced. But if something's a little overpowered or a little underpowered, say by like 5-10%, that's just the nature of things. I mean, nothing can be perfectly balanced, but you want everything to be playable. You want it to have a role. You know, you don't necessarily want something to be able to fit into every single army, but you want it to be like, if I'm running this specific style of army, then it's really good. Funny enough, I'm going to go back to the Halberdiers, where they initially, uh, in conception, had the 884, I think it was actually maybe an 885 attack profile. 884, 885, the morale 6+, plus, and set for charge also worked when being attacked from the flanks as well. That whole package was making them just kind of crazy good. And so, you know, you strip a little bit down. Okay, set for charge on the flanks to give some counterplay. Okay, they still feel a little bit strong. Strip a little bit down. Okay, the morale to a 7+, plus. that's not really making a, enough of a difference to warrant what's happening here. And then finally it settles down to a 7-7-3, which, you know, mathematically, if you're looking at a 7-7-3 versus an 8-8-3, is not the biggest difference on a long stick scale curve. But that's one of those examples that when people see a 7 versus an 8, the 8 is much more attractive to people. And you actually can see now that, you know, the change that we made for them, moving them to an 884 profile with a 6 plus, set for charge, staying exactly the same. You know, they're a viable and, you know, good unit to take. And frankly, that's good because Halberdiers were actually one of my favorite Lannister guys. Um, but it's just, you know, those little minor things that can happen that, you know, you try to play it a little safe and that can make or break a unit. That's why balance is so important. But that's also why, we you know, we are not afraid to, you know, go back and touch things up if need be. Now, I actually was made a note to say this toward the beginning, but I didn't, so I guess we'll go ahead and talk about this now, um, 10 minutes in. <laughs> uh, the frequency of updates is something that we haven't really addressed and that's something I do want to talk about on here. Ideally, I think at one point I'll make an entire article up talking about like this whole process, but I want people to understand that this is not a process that is going to be like, oh, continuously, you know, looking and retweaking and balancing and updating and like, oh, so, you know, every three months, you know, they're going to go back and change things again. Like, that's not the case. Um, in an ideal world, we have one revamp of things once they're out. That's it. So, you know, like everything that you see here, the Lannisters, we took a look at. We've, we waited long enough for, you know, a large number of their units to come out to kind of get past our growing pains with not only the game, but the faction itself and see, okay, what needs addressing? And then we make those changes. Uh, you'll see across most of the factions, with the exception being of the Warrior Sons, which has a unique kind of situation, which we'll get to, that a lot of the newer releases were not really that uh, that much that was touched on. And you'll see that kind of moving forward with the factions as they roll out. That, you know, if anything does get looked at for factions, it tends to be the initial wave stuff. And that's just because, you know, you have your basic faction identity, you have your core kind of uh, items that you're building off of. 
but you don't really those have the biggest chance to you know have weird interactions when it comes to a power scale once they actually hit the wild and get out in the public um like for example here you know i know the brathians have been out for all of two weeks and people are looking at stagnites and going like well you know these guys need looking at uh, it's really early to say that. I know that we have people's gut reactions on that, but this is kind of one of those cases where I look at the other stuff that's coming out, and I, I just don't. Mm, we'll see. Not saying it's, you know, not saying it's not the case, because you know, yes, there are some elements there that I, I have ideas about, but you also have to take in consideration everything else, you know, when you're looking at the full faction. Because I also remember, like, when Night's Watch came out in Veterans you know, kind of people were going like, you know, well, veterans are underpowered and, you know, they're kind of a staple unit now. No, it's staple, but you know what I mean. Um, Scorpion's a really good example where that was a roller coaster ride of just ups and downs of that thing going from sucking to overpowered. Uh, we have gone onto another tangent, dear listeners. So we're going to get back to talking about Jamie. Jamie was updated in 1.4 and received a buff at the time, but we really weren't super happy with the direction that was taking. Um, so we decided... Let's go ahead and re-look at him for 1.5. And we tried a bunch of different abilities here because we don't want to change tactics cards or anything that would require a physical component upgrade. Now, granted, I will say if there comes a time where, like, we lose our minds and, like, we make a tactics card that is just absolutely insanely overpowered or complete and total garbage, yeah, we'll look at it. Um, but that's always kind of the last resort thing. Until we get the uh, until we get some form of like you know potential like updated card pack situation squared away, which I know a lot of people have been asking about that. That's a more complicated matter than um, for a number of reasons, and I'm not going to get into those. But basically, we are looking at different ways to potentially handle that. Um, and there's quite a number of options, so they all have to be weighed against. And ideally, we did want to have that kind of handled before 1.5 released. But due to extenuating circumstances, we didn't really want to delay 1.5 to wait for that, so we just wanted to roll those out. So unofficially, we are, you know, we're looking into potential ways to do updated physical cards. Um, I cannot put any type of timetable or if it will even happen because that requires so many other parts of the, um, you know, process, company, and all that than I can speak for. So take that for what it is. With Jamie, we actually had made a version of him that we were testing out that ended up being just grossly too strong. It was actually kind of comical before we toned that one back into the form that he currently is in, which actually I'm I'm fairly happy with here. So, you know, I, I feel that Jamie is going to suffer from people just going, oh, well, he's crap, you know, and no one ever played him. Well, have you tried him with the new one? No. Oh, well, can you, can you try him with the new one before you keep your preconceptions there? But his ability to just cycle cards, you know, whenever he activates is just really nasty, especially with his cards, because he is probably the best Lannister commander when it comes to just sitting on objective and saying, screw you, this is mine. So that's always fun. Champion of the Faith. This guy got a complete rework here. Um, and I talked about him before, so I don't want to spend too much time going over that. But basically, we had made an offensive morale-based attachment that did not synergize that well with pretty much anything except for maybe the warriors sons and the poor fellows who the poor fellows didn't really care about you giving vulnerable to so in this case we had one unit that this guy really synergized with and the whole point of generic attachments is that it should be a good choice 
of like there's a number of units that this guy goes with not necessarily all of them but i've got options so like do i want to put an assault vet here do i want to put a guard captain do i want to put a champion and really in the current forms it just came down to do i want to put an assault vet or a guard captain because the champion is just kind of sitting off to the side here when i'd rather run almost anything else now with his new role even if you know you're not bundling up faith tokens you know from the morale tests He's still really good because he's going to be healing every single time you activate. If you pass your morale test, which Lannisters have a mixed bag on, then you're going to be healing too, which is going to tie into, again, to a Lannister theme of sustain. Then the champion here is going to allow you to do it via the method of just sustain through healing versus through defense or through blocking hits like some of the other options. Next up, we have the change to Baratheon banners. Um, so the change here did boost the overall power of the Kingsguard. But this was also just kind of a cleanliness and kind of bookkeeping fix here, where you would have to remember which effect that you used, and remember that you could only use that once per game. So we tested this out, and, you know, a lot, because the Kingsguard were... They're actually probably, for me personally to play, my favorite um, commander is Joffrey and the Kingsguard, and I do consider them the commander option, because I don't really think you should be running Joffrey without the Kingsguard, especially now. But even in 1.4 and earlier, this was one of my favorite uh, units to run. I just love the style of having this big, you know, I'm just going to destroy everything Death Star unit. Um, I just, that's just really cool to me. You know, it harkens me back to the old days of other games where, you know, you, might or, you may or may not have um, this little known unit known as uh, Space Marine Terminators that, you know, could just go and destroy things. Actually, specifically in my case, it was uh, Slaneshi uh, Chaos Marines, uh, Chaos Marine Terminators, which is all the combat drugs. You could actually run an entire army with six guys. Don't really want to do that in this game, obviously, but you know, just saying that that was, you know, a kind of cool play style. So the Baratheon banners change was uh, it did give them a power boost, a significant one, because now they're just super versatile. But it was also done uh, as a means of just keeping things kind of like, you know, you don't have to remember which one you've used. It's just you got these four uh, four once per game. Sorry, you have a resource that can be used four times per game to do cool stuff. And that's it for kind of the attachment cards. And I know the Baratheon banner is not really an attachment, but we're just going down the file. So now we're going to move on to the actual units here. The Halberdiers, the first ones here, and I've kind of already talked about them with this, the other changes. So I am just going to skip over them. We've already talked about, you know, why they've changed and, you know, what the goal was there. The Warrior's Sons is a neat one to talk about. Because this was one that when we actually made these changes here for 1.5, it actually just kind of ended up reverting them back to a pre, uh, pre-release pre form that they were in. And this unit here was a victim of, I, I really want to make a term for this, you know, again, just getting nervous about the power level of the unit before it's released. This was one of those victims of, these guys were really, really good at their points level um, when they were going through with the initial playtest cycles and everything, and they just kept getting kind of toned back slowly, slowly, until they hit a point where they were an okay choice at 8. They were probably verging on like a, you know, a, more like a strong 7. But we wanted these guys to be like the creme de la creme, like, you know, hyper elite, oh crap, he's running a bunch of Warriors Sons style, like, you know, list. And that was why we decided instead of just lowering their points to revamp them. We wanted these guys to just be a, not really jack-of-all-trades, but just a kind of can-be-good-at-everything, but not really bad-at-anything 
um, style of unit to sit at that eight point cost, especially synergizing with a high sparrow, but just being a general, just nasty option for Lannisters. And so, you know, this was one of the ones where we already kind of had the template laid out for these guys because it was almost a matter of just going back into the, the archive files and going, oh, now we found the Ark of the Covenant and just tipped the lid open and all that shiny, you know, Wrath of the Seven Light just pours out and goes, now bast in it, my son, you have been empowered. That was a little weird. Okay. Um, but I'm really happy with where this unit was. And this kind of, we took this as a lesson of, you know, sometimes it's better to just throw caution to the wind when we are looking at units. That's a dangerous thing to say as well. That's definitely not something we do because, you know, we definitely balance everything out from extenuating playtesting and number crunching and everything like that. But again, we still had that initial wave fear. And these guys were an initial wave unit, by the way, like the Faith Militant, the Poor Fellows, the Warrior's Sons, the High Sparrow. That was all initial wave Lannister stuff that was made. Um, and actually the Kingsguard were as well. Now when I think about Wave 2, kind of like past the initial core faction design stuff, um, I don't actually want to give out what that stuff is, but I actually know a lot of it. Hmm. A lot of it's still yet to come, to be honest. Um, the things that are out right now... Ooh. Yeah, you guys have actually not seen... I mean, you will you will fairly soon. But you haven't seen yet a lot of the just the Wave 2 stuff that wasn't developed in, with the initial faction release, like, again, way back during the Kickstarter. You know, we had the High Sparrow there, and it even referenced, you know, Faith Militant stuff on his initial card. So, surprise, surprise, guys. Turns out the Warrior Sons of Poor Fellows weren't made, you know, a week before they came out. <laughs> but, um... Yeah, I'm very happy with where the Warriors' Sons wound up. Kingsguard. These were actually, again, the banners change and then just removing the limitation from healing. This was, uh, again, another one of those things that was just, they were really scary strong. And we felt like, okay, we need to give them something to limit them slightly. Uh, and then that, chain, that, that limit was the not being able to heal. And then just seeing the, the kind of the overall effects that that ended up having were way more impactful uh, to a perception uh, in play than anticipated. Because from a playstyle perspective, you know, when we're doing internal playtesting and, you know, testing with these guys here and everything, it was an inconvenience, but it was something that could be worked around. But this came down to one of those perception things that people see that and they just go like, no, thank you, not for me. That is absolutely crippling. And, you know, the Kingsguard were good in 1.4. They were hard to play. They really were. I'm not going to deny that, but they were good if uh, people dedicated the time to learn how to play them. And that kind of uh, falls into the other aspect of why some things were changed, is we did move the power level of things around, not necessarily made it better or worse, but just moved it around, kind of based a little bit on like player perception, because we don't want a unit to have to be... We don't want you to have to basically get a PhD in that unit to make it effective, and a good example for that is the Bastard Scrolls. They have still some of the highest damage output in the game, but if you messed up in the slightest with them, they would just evaporate and get destroyed. So there were some cases where units got modified or changed just to make them a little easier to play and a little bit more forgiving. Um, as not to say, you know, the answer there is not like, okay, listen here, you, you casuals, we're just going to make this better for you because I'm a hyper-competitive player and I should just be rewarded for doing that. Every unit should be accessible, and they should be, re be rewarded for being played well. But it also has to look at the investment that someone puts into that unit. If I've got to invest, you know, five or six games to be able to understand and properly play a unit, okay, that's fine. 
if I have to invest 10, 12, 15 plus games for the same type of return on another unit, well, that's a problem because it doesn't really matter if that unit is, you know, better. It how much better is it actually going to be to have warranted, you know, me having to spend two and a half times the uh, amount of, you know, brain power and skill and ability to actually master it, you know? And the thing is, is that you run into the situation where if there is a unit that does require that much and it it's enough to justify and warrant that, that unit's going to be crazy powerful. So it's going to be punishing for everyone that doesn't master it. And you don't really want that either. So that was one thing that came up with the Kingsguard here, so... We just decided to remove that limitation for them, and you guys can kind of see how the buzz has been about them, you know, over the last little bit of time, and just how popular they've become, and rightly so. I love the Kingsguard, so I'm really glad to see that. And that is going to wrap up the changes to the Lannisters, and we're going to start moving a little bit faster through this uh, with the rest of them here, because I think we've kind of gotten a lot of the general design ideas and philosophies kind of hammered down here as to why a lot of things got changed. So now we're going through the rest, the Starks, the Lannisters, the Knights, sorry, the Starks, the Neutrals, the Free Folk, and the uh, Night's Watch. You know, I'm not going to have to spend so much time going over the specific intricacies, and we can talk more about the specific units. Let's go ahead and tackle the Starks, because they kind of received the most from a raw numbers perspective of changes. And so we have a lot to talk about there. Going with their, starting with the attachments, we have the Umber Champion. This is one of those cases where the Starks do have a playstyle mentality of they're going to get more dangerous the more you hurt them. And when they're just on the cusp of dying, that is when they should be their nastiest. You're going to see that represented um, more in upcoming units and potential more attachments as well. But the original Umber Champion basically was just not really embodying that enough. So we kind of changed him just to give him a unique effect to being able to give Vicious and additional attack dice, which I talked about earlier is very rare, with the caveat that you're going to suffer some wounds, unless you're down to your last remaining rank. Noting that the Umber Champion here is one of the few sources of Vicious in the entire Stark army, because they're just not kind of good at it, unless you're going to dip into the neutrals. So this is giving you something internally to use there as well. Additionally, he's going to give you the extra combat dice, all this wrapped around a one-point attachment. Um, so, love this guy. Great John Umber! Uh, we talked about him fairly extensively uh, in a previous episode, and also he got his own article touched here. But this was the whole thing that he had an ability that was pretty potent, but it was a little unwieldy. And just kind of wanted to make this guy a little bit more consistent, have a little bit more synergies with the overall Stark themes of, you know, hit very hard, have mobility, minor you know mobility there, and then just get more nasty when you take damage. So we gave him Overrun and Onslaught and just made him into a combat monster. I know a lot of people <laughs> were comboing him with old units, and now that you know 1.5 has dropped and some of those units have been modified around, those strategies no longer work. And I'm talking about great axes, people, by the way. I'm talking 1.4 great axes, um, which now don't really work too well with his overrun because their primary attack has to start to turn engaged. But he's still a fantastic choice, and that's the thing. You look at this guy, and you really should just go like, man, I like offense, and I really want to run this guy. And that was the idea there. Sirio Forel. This is actually, again, tied with the Hound for probably my second favorite character in the books. And I will actually say I do deeply enjoy the TV show version of him as well. Just so much charisma pouring out of that character. Um, this was a situation here where uh, it was just, you know, he was weaker than he should have been. I don't really have anything to say about that. He just needed a power buff. And so we gave him that additional ability of First Blade's Guidance where, you know, he gains precision. And now he feels like two points. 
If he just had the old effect, where it was just one attack, suffers minus one to fit, he would have been a solid one-point option. But I didn't really want to lower, you know, kind of an iconic character. Well, okay, iconic to me. Whatever. I'm playing favorites here. Didn't really want to stick him in the one-point attachment slot. Wanted to just, you know, I felt we could do him more justice as the first Blade of Bravos, one of the best swordsmen in the entire, you know, land. Also, hopefully not dead in the books because, you know, again, one of the best swordsmen in the land. Hopefully didn't get killed by Marin Trant. Um, but wanted to keep him at two points, so we just really wanted to just bring his, like, utility up. And now, giving precision, he just synergizes so well, so many stark options here and whatnot. And then you still have, you know, his really cool minus one to hit, which has kind of been overshadowed by his new ability. But hey, you know, that's just sometimes how it works. And, you know, I feel he's in a really good spot right now. You know, really just a, a nice, solid option for when you want to include him. Brandon Hodor. Hodor. Dropped a point. This was something that, you know, we knew that we were going to be changing, you know, the victory through combat results or sorry, um, rules that the wolves were going to be worth victory points. That did factor into this, um, but still for a very strong two points here, you're getting a once per game ability, you're getting brand skin changing, which the thing is that ability is completely determined on the unit that you decide to stick him in. So for example, he's really good on anything that has really cool weapon abilities, um, like great axes are really good for him, uh, umber berserkers are another good thing. But then if you stick him in some other units, like the cheaper ones, like you would kind of want to gravitate towards sticking a three-point attachment in, like Sworn Swords, you're not really getting a huge amount of synergies there with it because it's just dealing additional automatic hits. And Sworn Swords, you know, their whole ability is to deal themselves damage to gain critical blow, which can never trigger off of this, and gain plus one to hit, which this doesn't care about as well. And then some of the other cheaper options that were going to be appearing, you know, like, for example, um, Tully uh, Sworn Shields, they're not going to gain any benefit from that. They're going to gain benefit from Hodor, which is a once-per-game ability. So he was occupying this strange spot that he was three points that gave you an extra activation, a cool dire wolf, which is going to give you another unit on the battlefield. But frankly, if you just looked at him from by himself, his abilities were really determined by the unit that's, that you're attaching him to, and in turn, were already paying points for. So he was basically acting as a force multiplier, where on the cheap stuff, he wasn't really making them that much better, which is the place you would want to stick him, versus the uh, expensive stuff, which meant that you were kind of just semi-paying points for stuff the unit already had that he is just kind of making a little bit better and that was a hard pill at you know uh, three points so in his case we just moved him down to two points and i feel he's really good where he is roderick roderick was a combination of really just wanted to make him easier to use for the general player um, his tactics cards are crazy good. He just needed that proper engine to really get out that vulnerable. And this one little change here was all it took to, you know, do that and make him less complicated. That's all I really got to say about Roderick. Just that one little change. Great change right there. If I do say so myself, I know it sounds really weird to go like, hey, great change. Guy who did a lot of the changes, of course, with the rest of the team and everything. But, you know, there we go. Rickon. Rickon here is a risk versus reward unit. Um, he's going to grant additional victory points when he's killed. He's going to give you, um, technically another, another victory point coming from his direwolf when he's killed. But in exchange for that, you're getting another activation. You're getting Osha. But the problem is, is that if that's all he did, then he would be fine at two points. But he has a drawback built into him. And it's not an insignificant drawback. That was only kind of, um, pushed a little bit further by the direwolf change. Um, 
so he just needed a points reduction or he needed to lose valuable captive but we really liked how those high risk reward mechanics worked and then you know we know that there were some other units coming out that you know you could stick him in storm crows we won them just to get that free five points and the extra go so instead he just got lowered down to one point versus getting reworked now we're moving on to stark units house umber great axes these guys here were just too utility for their points they were just kind of like, okay, why would I take a lot of other options when I can just take Great Axes? Because they kind of handle every problem that I have. And Great Axes were initially designed to just be, these are the ones that are meant to go and kill high armor targets. This is their seek and destroy role. And then we had the idea for Mighty Cleave, and it was so cool that we really wanted to incorporate it. And frankly, it really should have been one or the other. Either make these guys be the unit that goes after the, the chafe, you know, low point, low defense guys that they can just carve through. Or make them, you know, your very focused anti-heavy armor guys. Now the thing is, you look at the Berserkers and some of the other Stark tools, they already had options to be able to just carve through a bunch of cheap guys. So they really needed something that was going to punch through some really heavy armor. You had Berserkers, but they were kind of going with just like sundering with raw number of attacks. These guys here have a very specialized role. It's the problem is that when they had both those effects, it was just kind of like a no-brainer choice of just, well, why would I specialize in one thing when I can just be good at everything? And so we wanted to just give these guys a more focused role in what they do. Now, of course, we increased their kind of general combat effectiveness, but it's I say general very specific there because, yeah, we increased... There are a number of attack dice on Executioner's Fury, and we you know, made it so it can be used anytime. But that was just to compensate for the fact that you know, they lost Mighty Cleave. So yeah, on the charge, they can throw upwards of 8 dice to the 3+, but their 7-point unit, that ability is not really carrying any special effects with it. It's just giving them an option. Other than that, if you look at their stats, they're pretty average across the board. I mean, 3+, 5 movement, 4 defense, 6-plus morale... The only thing that's really special from a stat perspective is that they maintain six attack dice even at their last rank. So these guys are really defined by their ability, which is really scary once they are locked into combat. But again, comes with a built-in negative that is only effective once they are locked into combat. But that is where these guys wound up, and I'm, you know, this gives them a very focused role versus just being good at everything, you know. So there we go. Stark Bowman, man, I could talk about these guys for an hour just by themselves. Stark Bowman had the issue that they didn't synergize with most of the Stark stuff, which is melee-centric uh, and mobility-focused, which those guys really don't like either one of those. So these guys had to be independently strong of the rest of the army, or kind of roll into a support piece. So here we just kind of end up making them both. <laughs> you have Arrow Volley, which is in itself a long-range attack with eight dice hitting on threes, which ignores intervening units in terrain, very potent on its own. But then these guys have their little extra, where they actually can assist the rest of the army by making the defender weakened and turning off their orders. So this opens up their ability to have combo play with the rest of the army. So if these guys need to, they can go up and they can um, you know, threaten a point by just hailing down arrows on it constantly and forcing the enemy to come to them. But at the same time, these guys also fill a great support role by, you know, removing enemy threats, weakening them in both the literal and the just kind of, uh, you know, uh, tactical sense as well before your melee units actually get in there to finish them off. That and combined with the fact that Starks have generally good morale across the board, you can start just hailing into combat with these guys to, you know, create that weekend for your allies and not worry about it too much because you have a decent morale in the rest of your units. Stark Outriders. 
this is one of those units that when we first released and they were in the starter box, everyone said that they were the absolute strongest unit or the absolute weakest unit, depending on how people played. I still remember when we were initially demoing the game in its base form alpha release at conventions and the amount of times I saw people go, oh, really cool, Stark Outriders. They're going to be so maneuverable and you're never going to be doing going to be able to do anything with them and i'm just going to destroy all your guys and then they would proceed to immediately charge directly into the front of halberdiers and get all of them killed and declare them that they were terrible units <sighs> good times anyway this is a unit that the initial concept was very solid we just wanted to take it and really kind of crank it up to 11 these guys need to be your nasty I'm going to hit you in the flank and cause nasty negative stuff to happen to you. And then when you try to hit me, I'm just going to run away and come back and do it again. We really wanted the flavor and just the, you know, the tenacity of these guys to really shine through. And that was one of the changes here. Plus at their points cost as well, uh, hitting on a four plus was a little rough given the rest of the package they had. So they got a little bump in that area as well because you know, they don't really have a lot else going for them as far as just raw offensive potential, aside from just throwing down the other, you know, the weekend and panicked. But they don't have, like, you know, Sundering, like, you know, your heavy knights would, or, you know, vulnerable, like a lot of the other army can play out. So, you know, they're not so cut and dry in that regard, but they're a utility piece that can be played offensively. And then when combined with the rest of the Stark toolkit, they synergize just a lot better. House Tully Sworn Shields, you guys got a one-point reduction, and that was... a Again, I've said this in the previous episode. This was done here just because they are a solid unit. They would be probably seven points in most any other army, maybe with some minor tweaks. But they're in Starks, who focus on offense and mobility. These guys are a hold-the-line kind of tanky unit. And because they were lacking so much synergy with the rest of the army... It was, you know, a choice of like, okay, we either redesign these guys, which is going to change their role from being what they are and change their core identity, which is something we never really want to do, uh, or give them a small points reduction. So we moved them down to six points, and they have really fit well, I think, in that role and given a nice little option for the rest of the Stark army. And that's going to wrap up our talks about the Starks here, so we're going to move on to the Neutrals. Neutrals did not receive a huge amount of changes, namely because they didn't have a lot of units to change. But there were some minor tweaks here, and they were fairly minor. Roos Bolton, he got a one-point reduction. I've already talked about the status of three-point attachments and why most of them were either reworked or reduced down to two points. With Roos, every one of his abilities just fit so thematically well with him that we didn't want to like change what he did, but he felt really good at two points. And so... That's what we did. Varus. Yeah, we're going to skip over Varus. Now, okay, so Varus has received two changes so far. One in 1.4, where we uh, basically kind of hotfixed him to remove his reroll ability because he was just so oppressive. And then we, re we took that data. We still looked at him. It was changing things in a positive direction, but he was still just seeing play in every single competitive list. So we made the... We initially tried the change here where we just moved him up to five points. And that didn't actually phase a lot of people. He was, they were cutting points elsewhere to still include him because he was just still worth it so much in the end. So we had to reevaluate the timing of him to give him some, you know, to give him a small nerf, but then open up some counterplay there. By the way, this is going to be a small side tangent here, but I've noticed that some people, you know, they go like, oh, they really go out of their way to, you know, not say that they're decreasing the power level of units or nerfing guys. Like, guys... If we're making something weaker just for the sake of it being weaker because it's too strong, 
It was straight up just called a nerf. But again, we're not really fans of doing that. We'd rather more so just adjust things around. You know, if things were just going to get a raw points increase or something like that, then, you know, yeah, that's a nerf. You can't really say anything other than that. Um, but we usually try to evaluate it to if we're going to make something, you know, reduce something's effectiveness in one area. Is there another area that we can, you know, push it in? If we're going to make something more expensive as far as just points go, uh, is that points, you know, is just moving up in points is seldom going to fix any of the problems. Usually, if you do that, it's going to create a new set of problems with balanced things, so you're going to have to reevaluate things to begin with, which is why changing points around is something we're not a huge fan of, except in certain circumstances, which I know it seems like it appears a number of times through this, uh, through these revisions and changes, but you'll see that usually if we change something, we're just going to change its abilities around and keep its points bracket the same versus just shifting it up or down points. So Varus here changed his timing to give some counterplay options to the opponent and also, you know, keep his power level in check now. Now the goal here is, of course, to not see him in every single list, to see him with those style of players that do want that control element, to want to build tactics that he supplements, but don't necessarily build your list around, oh, I have Varus. And that was kind of the overarching issue with him before, is that it was, I've got four points left over, and I need an NCU. There's not really a decision here for me, I'm putting Varus in the list. And it's like, oh, I'm going to make a competitive list here, and I'm worried about, you know, anything related to the tactics board or NCUs. Varus is in the list. Bam, there you go. Now at five points, and the fact that there is some counterplay for savvy opponents, he does become, okay, well, it's not so much of a cut-and-dry situation here of just including him. Moving on, we're now going to hit the units, of which we've got two that we have modified here. One is the House Bolton Bastards Girls, one of my favorite units in the game, just from a visual um, narrative and gameplay perspective. Uh, this is going to fall into the number of units here that were just, they were good, but they required such a mental investment to play. And also, again, the slightest mess up, sometimes not even being in your control, and these guys would just evaporate. It was a very high risk, high reward unit from not necessarily a gameplay perspective, but just from a time investment perspective. Like if you learned how to play these guys, you could pull off some really cool tricks. But man, did you have to devote a lot of time to them. And even then, there were times where they could just fall apart and there's nothing you could have done about it. So with the changes here, we just gave them Vicious. Just a small little bump in their melee attack profile to make them a little bit more attractive. Because, you know, there's attachments that are coming out that have come out. Like, for example, the Stormcrow Lieutenant. That really synergize well with these guys. That, you know, just really kind of crank them up to 11. You know, if you want to, you know, be so egotistical as to say that. But... This is just one of the ones, a little quality of life buff here that, you know, really felt went a long way to making them a little less, a little more forgiving, a little bit more rewarding to play. House Bolton Flayed Men. Listen, guys, I could talk for hours on this. I'm just going to directly to the article talking about the reasons these guys were changed because there is a number of them. But essentially, 2 plus save universally accessible to all armies. It's just not something we really wanted to deal with. Um, nor do I think was really healthy, being that they were the they were the staple go-to two-plus defense save unit in the game, and that should not have been their role. Their role should not have been, you know, oh, I just need this big anvil, fast-moving cavalry unit. Their role should have been, these are the ones I take when I want a fast, hard-hitting cavalry unit that instills panic and fear and plays of enemy morale. That should be the reason you take these guys. A very kind of specific focused role that you want to include in your army and 
you know, doesn't necessarily go with every single army versus, oh, I need a big juggernaut tank unit that's not going to die. That kind of can fit into most everything. And while neutrals should be able to be accept, you know, fit a lot of diversity of roles, there shouldn't be a universal answer in that form. So these guys got more specialized, more focused, and were adjusted to that. So that's why those changes were done. And that's going to actually wrap up the neutral talk. We only have two more factions to talk about here, and that's going to be the Night's Watch and the Free Folk. And both of these factions received very minor changes at this time. And, you know, <laughs> you want to talk about changes that have diverse, uh, sorry, uh, caused controversy and divided the player base, you can look at the Night's Watch ones. So we're going to save those for the end here, and we're going to talk about the Free Folk ones. So, in general, when we were looking at these two factions, you know, one of the things that we said in the patch notes is that these factions are still fairly newer compared to the other three that we looked at. Uh, so we didn't really want to make any like sweeping overall changes uh, to the factions. Not that we've really made any sweeping overall changes to the other factions either. But these guys here, we just wanted to be absolutely sure um, that the changes that we were making were the correct ones to do and pushing the factions, each of them, in the directions that we wanted to see them in. Because these were basically our secondary wave releases for the game. You had the Starks, the Lannisters, the Neutral, which made up your core initial releases. That shaped the meta for the entire time that they were out. And you know you had basically two and a quarter slash half factions you know, vying it. These were the first new shake-up elements we incorporated into the game. And they were intended to be two drastically new playstyles where you had the horde mentality with the free folk coming out that I'm just going to outnumber you with a bunch of really cheap kind of crappy units that have really nasty tricks. And then on the other hand, you had the Night's Watch who are going to be your elite guys who we are the best of the best of the best because we have to be. And, you know, we're just going to have these super cool units here and everything. And, you know, they're just going to be the elite just, you know, marines of the game and everything. And those are the ideas, the cores, the core behind those playstyles and what we wanted to see. Because we didn't want to just pallet swap Starks, Lannisters, or anything like that. Because, you know, it would be real easy to have made a medieval-style combat game where, you know, everyone's using swords, shields, and spikes, and, sorry, spears, and, you know, all those. Because, frankly, you know, peasant levies and everything. We wanted the factions to have identities. You know, this is not a historical recreation where it's just like, here's my peasants with spy with uh, spears, and there's your peasants with spears. Let's clash against each other until one dies. Hooray! You know, that's not the type of game we wanted to make here. We wanted a very cool, very unique playstyles. With the Free Folk um, and the Night's Watch, we have kind of uh, gotten a lot of the changes that we wanted to make uh, kind of done because we were able to really kind of expedite that process because they those changes were developed at the same time we were developing all the 1.5 changes for the Starks, the Lancers, and the uh, the neutrals. The thing is, is that we still had releases rolling out for them uh, consistently during that testing cycle. So, you know, while we were fairly confident with a lot of the changes that we have made here with them, we're still tweaking and finalizing and still kind of gathering up data. And we really want to be sure that the changes we're making are the ones that we want to do and that things are in a good spot. Because as I said way back at the beginning, we don't want to have just constant rolling updates for things, okay? In an ideal world, we have one pass to go like, okay, these are the things that need adjusting. We adjust them, and then that's it. They're done, you know, as far as from a faction perspective. 
which I'm very happy to see, you know to again say like I said back at the beginning a lot of the in initial wave stuff are the things that end up getting tweaked the later releases that you know have are just you know released after having seen the additional reception and data and things like that compiled into how the meta shapes up you know a lot of those come out and they're fine I'm I'm very happy with the development team you know when working with them to when we're doing the balance and everything we just see like man all this stuff looks super cool all this stuff is just really sexy you know and in a good spot now there are some places that things you know do slip through the cracks and we do we will look and address those you know i'm not saying like you know, there's no like oh well you know if it's later wave stuff we're not even gonna look at it that's crazy um but definitely usually we find that when there are problems to be identified it does come from the initial wave stuff with the free folk there are a number of things that we are looking at, but for the time being, we didn't want to make any of those like you know big changes there or whatnot. We wanted to kind of keep them minimal. We actually were considering not releasing any changes in the slightest for Night's Watch and Free Folk, but we did want to address at least a couple things. The Spearwives were one that we knew were going to get looked at, and we had a couple different like you know methods for how we were changing them around, keeping them at the same points. Uh, but then we tried lowering them to four points, and we were actually surprised by how just kind of the cool options that got opened up and how it kind of just clicked and worked because now you had this cheap alternative bunker for attachments and things like that that you could really customize because the unit is very flexible in what they do and it put them in a really good solid spot so we felt comfortable releasing that and going this is a change that you know we don't foresee actually being modified once we get into like the I don't know, call it 1.6, whatever term for, you know, when the Knights Watch, the Free Folk, and, um, well, I guess those two, when they get looked at um, and reevaluated. Those, you know, this is one of those changes that we were fairly confident with that, yeah, lowering them to four points was, you know, that, that made us very happy versus keeping them at five points and, you know, messing around and keeping them competing in that option with other choices. So. Now let's come to the Night's Watch, which I'm sure there are some people that are absolutely just wanting to fast forward to this section and absolutely voice their uh, opinions, whether they be strong one way or another. <laughs> so Night's Watch. Uh, Bowen Marsh is one of those situations where he just got straight up nerfed. I mean, if you want to call it that, that's fine. He got moved up to four points just because he was too good at three points. I can't really say anything other than that. He was not to include at three points. Um, and really, really strong for it. He is now a solid four-point option. That's where he belongs. Sworn Brothers. All right. This is the single most controversial change that happened at all in the entirety of any of the updates. And frankly, they were in my top three contenders, but I didn't expect them to win out. So as we talked about the patch notes, the Night's Watch is intended to be played as this elite-style army that has you know, very um, powerful units that are buffed through attachments, through influence effects, through tactics cards with the valve mechanic and everything, that you're, it's supposed to be low activation and just have these juggernaut kind of really hyper cool units on the battlefield. That really was kind of creating a problem when the Sworn Brothers were the best six point unit in the game from just a raw stat perspective, but also had amazing synergies with every single thing in their faction. If it were just one of those like things, then okay, sure. But it was a combination of all of those things. And it kind of hit the Night's Watch play mentality of, again, we want these guys to really be elite. And the issue with that is that 
yes, their basic, inf like basic in quotations, infantry choice was six points. That's still only one point higher than most other armies. And while one point does matter, it really wasn't struggling to push into the really big elite area that we wanted them to. So, and also it was trading situation where it was a hard choice to ever run anything else other than Sworn Brothers because they were just the best buy at six points in the faction. So, you know, why am I going to run more expensive units when I can just run Sworn Brothers and still have points left over for a cool attachment for my Sworn Brothers? So, these guys were identified as one of the problematic things in the faction that needed to be addressed. And I really felt I, this is a change that could have waited um, for the for the larger 1.6 updates. But I really wanted to go ahead and throw this one out now, uh, you know, because... Okay, if you look at it from a raw, like, tournament perspective standpoint, Night's Watch consistently placed high. They were not necessarily winning a lot of events, but they were very forgiving, very easy to play. I'm not saying that as an insult to anyone that played Night's Watch, because, you know, I'm not saying, oh, these guys are easy mode, you'll just win a bunch of games. But the combination of being very forgiving and having just really great internal synergies was, it was a little much. It was, if you knew how to handle them, then you could do fine against them. But if you didn't, if you if you hadn't reached that level as a player, it was a very demoralizing uphill fight when it seemed like your opponent didn't really have to invest a lot to make you have a bad day. And that was kind of one of the reasons these guys got, you know, changed up the way they did currently. Um, this is a unit that is going to see some probably see some further modifications in when they get reevaluated. There are some things that we're looking at with them that uh, to kind of change them around a little bit. Nothing drastic. I mean, they're still going to like great swords are great swords, and that's really their only ability. So you'll see some other things that might surprise you. But when it comes to the Night's Watch in general, one of the things that you will see with them is that you know, you're going to continue to see their, their units are going to be specialized. They're going to be elite. They're going to be, you know, very cool. You're not going to see, you know, these cheap throwaway units aside from conscripts, which is their sole purpose in existence. But you're not going to see, you know, baseline five-point guys for Night's Watch unless it's going to be something that's going to be kind of out of left field. Because these guys should not play like the other factions. It shouldn't be just like these are Lannisters with a new coat of paint. These are Starks with a new coat of paint. You go into these guys playing them with the mentality of, like, I'm going to be playing a small number of highly specialized, highly elite units that have survived in the worst environment possible defending, you know, the realms of men. And they are battle-hardened because they have to be. Because if they aren't, they die. The opposite of the free folk where, you know, it's like, yeah, they're in a nasty environment, but they don't have training, they don't have equipment, they're just a roving horde of guys. But the reason they are going to win any type of real fight is because they're going to outnumber you. Again, the opposite mentality of the Night's Watch here. But something you will see moving forward here is that with the Night's Watch, you know, their units are going to be expensive. But the customization options for those units in the forms of attachments and options and things like that, you're going to have a very cool, you know, kind of... I'm not going to say mechanic, because that would imply that we are, like, you know, revamping or something, and we're not, obviously. Um, but you're going to see just a lot of natural options come out that's going to be, okay, I'm going to start with a baseline unit that's already really, really cool, and I'm going to have another option to stick onto this unit. Not in just normal vows, but also, like, cheap attachments. So, like, you know, for 
I'm spoilers, guys. Watch Captains. You guys are going to get your time in the sun. You guys are going to get a really cool update for you, and they're also getting moved down to one point. Um, that's kind of a design philosophy you'll see. That's going to become more apparent moving forward with the Night's Watch is that you're going to have a lot of cool, expensive units. You're going to have a lot of cheap attachments that are going to give you a very, really cool, specialized, you know, buff for that unit to kind of go along with the fact that you have these elite units. Whereas other factions will have expensive attachments. And yes, you did see those in the hero box, but you're not going to see the raw number of just like big expensive attachments for Night's Watch. You're going to see a bunch of just kind of like, these are very specialized, cheaper attachments that are going to be added to a already super cool unit. So that's kind of the design philosophy you'll see moving forward once you guys see like Hero Box 2 and some of the newer releases for them as well, but also some of the rollouts that'll be coming with, you know, 1.6. All right, guys, this has been going on for quite a long time talking. We are actually hitting nearly the hour mark, but that's going to kind of wrap up the look and the analysis of all of the updates for the units, attachments, NCUs, for everything that we did in 1.5. Uh, go ahead and where I post this, leave your thoughts in the comments below. You know, talk about how you like the changes, what you have seen that has been updated that you agree with, the things that you don't agree with, the things that you were like, man, you took my favorite unit, you absolutely destroyed it. Or, you know, the units that you think are still, you know, underpowered or the units that you still think are overpowered, you know, just open up for discussion because we love getting feedback from people. You know, we combine that, of course, with our own, um, you know, data that we collect and everything. So, you know, every little bit helps. And the whole point in the end of this is to make, you know, the best game that we absolutely can and make it so that, you know, you're running an army that you are proud of and that you never, ever have to go, man, if only I could run this, but it's just not worth it. That's a phrase I never really want to hear in a game. And the closer we can get to making that a reality, the happier everyone is. So that's going to wrap it up for this time, guys. Thank you guys for listening, and join us next time. We're going to have some more fun. All right. Thank you for listening. Take care.